very good to be back. Um, and let me add my greetings for 2024. Welcome to 2024. Pray that it'll be a year of blessing and obedience as we follow Christ. And just a word of thanks, and every time I do this, it feels inadequate to say thank you to you as a congregation. Um, it is 36 years to the day that I stood before this congregation and was sent out to OM for the first time as the first member missionary. Um, I'm not gonna ask those of you who are here to stand up. Some of you can't. Um, <laughs> the church was much smaller. Those of you who were sitting out in the wings would have been outside. I was much smaller. We won't comment any further on that either. It's also a lot younger. Um, and I was commissioned and sent off to the Dulos and that next week my parents drove me through to Pretoria and dropped me off in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Literally, um, the road sign says, Onbekent. For those of you who don't understand Afrikaans, you can ask a friend. Um, that means this week is also the anniversary of me meeting Khriki for the first time. Don't tell her I don't remember it. Um, actually, we talked about this and she doesn't remember it either, so we're good. Took another three years before God kind of managed to sort things out and we've now been married for 32 years and it's been quite an adventure. The last two years have been serving on board the ship, the Logos Hope, and uh, we'll share more on the 17th of January, as Clinton has said. But a couple of highlights, um, we went two years ago and we took 40, 40 Africans from 14 different countries um, and many of them have journeyed the full two years with us um, and it's been an amazing journey with them as well as the other 350 odd people, which is more than that because they change all the time. Um, I had the privilege of being involved in the implementation of a new onboard training program that they were just initiating as I arrived and that was exciting. We spent nine months in the Arab world. We got to go to places like Libya and Lebanon and Iraq and uh, come on the 17th for more about that. And then as we were wrapping up, and we did not know we were gonna be wrapping up, um, two months ago we were expecting to come home on furlough for six weeks and then sail on with the ship further around South Africa and up to West Africa. But we live a life interrupted um, by God and he had other plans and we will be returning to South Africa um, we've returned um, and we will be moving back to that base in Pretoria where we first met, where we first joined OM, where we spent six and a half years back in the early 2000s and uh, we'll be taking up a leadership role in the new recruit training program and uh, we're excited about that. As we enter a new year, we all to some degree evaluate our lives, speculate or plan for the future. What will we keep doing? What will we start doing? What will we stop doing? A, and these are questions that are worth looking at. And to do that, we need to know what our priorities and values are that are gonna guide us. And know who makes the decisions. Well, as followers of Jesus, we are not our own masters. Our destinies are not in our own hands. We follow a king. Yes, a king, not a guru or a guide or a fellow traveler, but a king. Now as products of 
the modern human rights, democratic, freedom of speech um, world we live in, we often rebel against the idea of a king. We, we see them either as some antiquated authoritarian um, bully or some useless figurehead that appears every now and again dressed in fancy clothing. It seems so undated and outdated and, and possibly even unsafe. But this morning I want to look in small part at the king, his kingdom, and his subjects. Frank Viola in his book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Kingdom of God, uses those helpful three parts um, to discuss the kingdom of God. The king, the kingdom, and his subjects. Clinton did a great job last week of introducing us to the king. If you weren't able to be here, if you didn't hear the sermon, let me encourage you to go and listen to the recording. It's on YouTube if you don't know where it is. Um, but very briefly in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we have this fourfold description of Jesus. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. The one who is and is to, was and is to come, the ruler of heaven and earth. And then we've just come through Christmas. Trust you noticed it was Christmas. Where we focused on the arrival of that king. King, who, the child who was born, the son who was given, the fully God, fully man, born into human history. Our participation this morning in communion reminds us of the great work and purpose of Christ. But today we're going to look at the beginnings, the beginnings of Jesus' mission. And you would be forgiven if the powerful description of the Messiah in Isaiah 9, the, the description we read in Psalm 45, seems not to align with the king's arrival in the Gospels. He comes as a helpless babe, disappears into obscurity, and very little recorded until the rather strange John the Baptist comes along announcing that someone is coming. And those of us who've been Christians the 30, 40, 50 years, as Clinton mentioned just now, sometimes we've lost just how, can I use the word bizarre, the arrival of the king of the universe is? So turn in your Bibles if you have one, and I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's a fairly long passage, and I'm going to work through it fairly quickly. And I'm taking a little bit of a kind of unusual approach. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. It will appear on the screen, um, but it'll be useful if you've got your Bibles. Before we go there, as I was preparing, and there were a number of things that led me to to this passage, I was reminded of a document that I, I don't know when I first read it, I suspect it predates the internet, and, and it was a document that has probably been read from this pulpit more than once, and it was a, a kind of imaginary letter to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcroft, a carpenter shop, Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem, and dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we've now run our results through our computers, arranged personal interviews. And it goes on in that sort of consultancy language 
to run through the various disciples that Jesus had, um, had picked to follow, to follow him. Uh, Simon Peter, they describe as emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Um, Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. Um, James, son of Altheus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. They both registered high on the manic depressive scale, and it's in that sort of tone. Um, and you can find it very easily on the internet. Just search Jesus Disciples Consultants. You can read the whole document. It ends by saying we recommend Jesus Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. Now, I hadn't thought about that document for many years, and as I'm reading this passage and I'm praying through it, this comes to mind, and I start looking at the passage through a similar set of eyes. So I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to run through this passage as if I was the consultants commenting on Jesus' starting of his new venture. So here goes. Have your Bibles ready. Um, Dear Yeshua ben Joseph, Thank you for this opportunity to present our findings. As requested, we have studied your mission parameters as outlined in Isaiah chapter 9, as well as the very ambitious mission statement in Isaiah 49 verse 6, which reads, It's too light a thing for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, and that my salvation may reach to the very ends of of the earth. We then assessed the account of the beginnings of your venture as described in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 39. The format of the report will be a simple commentary on various situations, actions, and actors. Before we start, we need at the outset to comment on your birth. We're uncertain as to how much control you had in organizing the circumstances of your arrival, but we do want to express our concern that a better start could have been made. It would surely have been more advantageous to have been born in the center of power. We're thinking of Rome. And be connected to families of influence and power. This would have given you access to a better education, and more importantly, set you up with the type of connections needed to become a person of power. Your time as a refugee in Egypt also reflects poorly on the quality of your upbringing and life circumstances. The other thing we'd like to inquire about is, where have you been for the last three decades? You seem to have had very little in the way of useful leadership experience. Your possible involvement as a carpenter in your family business should probably not be published widely if you wish to succeed and develop politically. If there is anything you've done that could bolster your resume, please could you provide it as soon as possible. With that said, we'd like to now comment now on your somewhat humble and we believe misdirected beginnings. The description of these beginnings starts in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And if we can have that up there now. And I'm on. So reading now down to verse 13. At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus... um, 
in those, when he came out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately, okay, am I driving or are you driving? Um, the spirit immediately, okay, let's stop. No, we'll go to. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the animals, and the angels attended him. Back to our report. Sir, at the risk of upsetting you, what were you thinking? While the Forum of Rome was clearly unattainable, did you really have to launch your campaign in the middle of nowhere? Endorsed by the now beheaded so-called John the Baptist, our research revealed that he was your cousin, so our condolences, but his lifestyle and conduct are far too fringe to be a good place to start. We say this with caution. While it's great you have the sense of acceptance by a deity and approval, we'd ask you to consider maybe playing this down publicly as it sounds a little too fanciful to be real. And as for the 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil, we wonder if that could be rebranded as reflection and planning. Please refrain from mentioning the accompanying angels. The account goes on. In verse 14, where are we here? Where are we here? I'm not getting verses up. Sorry, I'm lost because I've got verses up there. After John was put in prison, I'm going to read it from here. You read in your Bibles. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of Christ. At the time, the time has come, he said, the kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Again, sir, we question your choice of where you started your publicity tour. Galilee's not central to anything. Would it not have been better to at least start in Jerusalem? We do want to commend you for the brevity and clarity of your message. It's punchy and to the point. We like this message. If, however, it may be a little too confrontational. The reference to time is a good one. The concept of a kingdom invokes a picture of power and influence. The of God part falls into the same category of some of our previous comments about it maybe being a little too grandiose and religious. Maybe a kingdom of justice or a kingdom of peace might be easier to sell. And talking about easy to sell, can we talk about repent and believe? It seems to demand far too much commitment far too soon. We might suggest something like, this is good news for all. Why don't you come and give it a try? See if you like it. But keep up the good work of this good, clear, succinct message. Moving right along to verse 16 in Mark chapter 1. As Jesus walked along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, sir, any great endeavor requires the right people. And while those of you who have asked to follow you have done so with great enthusiasm and without wasting time, we refer you back to the assessment done by our colleagues at Jordan Consultant Management um, where they did those tests and gave you the report. And that clearly indicates that you could probably have selected more suitable individuals to lead your organization. This group seems to be very ordinary at best. The scripture goes on in verse 21 and it says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the region of Galilee. Well, sir, if this report is accurate, you are off to a great start. Again, it would have had so much more impact if it had been in a major center, but that's water under the bridge. You clearly have a great communication style. You poll very favorably against your competition in the form of other religious leaders. Your projected authority is a strength, and it should certainly be built upon. We're uncertain of what to make with your dealings with the gentleman who was supposedly possessed. But your handling of the situation caused people to talk and discuss. In a word, you went viral. And the publicity gained was invaluable. As they say, any publicity is good publicity. The report goes on, or the account goes on in verse 29. As they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her and he took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed and the whole town gathered at the door and the, Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because of, they knew who he was. What we see here, sir, is a common mistake made by popular beginners. Allowing friends and family to benefit from your skills and offering without furthering your cause is a sure way to failure. We understand it's hard, but you must learn to set up boundaries to protect the endeavor. You also seem to be pretty indiscriminate about your customer base. As you grow in popularity, you really need to go after the wealthier, more influential in society. This will allow you to charge more and do less. We also question the strategy of, of stopping people talking about you. 
We want them to be talking about their positive experience. Your actions are undermining the viral nature of your current popularity. And then the final part of the passage. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him, and they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out their demons. This final piece of the puzzle, puzzle, final piece of the account, puzzles us greatly. Firstly, never go off on your own like this. Your followers will not respond well to you disappearing without warning. It undermines confidence and creates uncertainty. You certainly don't need to be at the beck and call of everyone, but your top management should know your whereabouts. We're also not sure about the activities in the early morning, um, and maybe you need to think about some more training opportunities that you can attend so that you can upskill yourself. We admire your expansion, your commitment to expansion, but we worry that you are spreading yourself too thin too quickly. You already have more customers ready to be served, upsetting them before they're satisfied to reach out to others who do not yet ex know you exist seems short-sighted and will lead to negative publicity that you can ill afford. We would strongly advise you to consider consolidating your customer base and ensuring that they are happy before expanding further. We believe you have a viable concept, but unless you address some of the issues stated above, we believe you will inevitably fail and disappoint many. In summary, we would advise that you re-image yourself to be more mainstream, to upgrade the quality of people you select to assist you and focus on those who have heard the, our message and work on their satisfaction to retain them before considering expansion. Yours truly, Pharisee Consultants. Well, 2,000 years after this fictitious report, Jesus is, is still ignoring the advice and criticism of our consultants. And yet, in my experience, there are many voices within and without the church that would seek to state similar things. But the kingdom, the king, and his subjects are still on the move. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came in these humble beginnings that seem a little strange. And now there's two and a half billion people, a third of the world's population, who claim some sort of allegiance to Jesus. In the last hundred years, the number of evangelical Christians, Christians that we would relate to as Bible-believing and wanting to obey Christ, has quadrupled from just under 100 million to over 400 million in just 100 years. The parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33 of the mustard seed and the yeast have taken place. The, very, the early beginnings of the kingdom seemed small and insignificant, the mustard seed. 
and the times that the kingdom has progressed most in history has been when it has spread virally through populations with unlikely ordinary people following and being strengthened by their king. There's another side to the statistics that's less encouraging. While a third of the world's population claim to follow Jesus, two-thirds of the world's population are clear that they do not. And a full third have never even heard that Jesus came to die for them. And just in the last couple of years, I've been struck by the fact that when I left this church 36 years ago to join OM, the number that we used to talk about was that there were a billion and a half people who'd never heard about Jesus. Today, that number is two and a half to three billion people who've never heard. It's doubled in our generation. Now, the number is less as a percentage of the world's population, and that's good news. The good news is that the amount of yeast available, that's us, is more than ever before. But unfortunately, the problem of distribution still remains. Far too many people live in countries, in areas where they will simply never hear the gospel in their lifetime. They will simply never meet someone who loves Jesus unless we do something about it. Jesus' mission to preach somewhere else still needs to be the mission of the kingdom, still needs to be the mission of the church. And Jesus is still in the business of taking ordinary people and using them in ways that means he gets the credit. Just as the early disciples followed with enthusiasm, Jesus is looking for the available, not the qualified. The qualification for kingdom inclusion and participation is the same today as it was when Jesus started. Repent and believe and follow Jesus. That when we enter the kingdom, we hear the voice of the Father saying to us what he said to his son. This is my child whom I love. As a child of God, before you do anything, you are somebody. One last comment about the subjects of the kingdom. There are no tourists. You are either in the kingdom, accepted by grace, participating, or you're on the outside looking in. Last week, Clinton referenced Tim Keller's assessment that you can only either hate Jesus, fear Jesus, or worship Jesus. If you claim to worship him, you must obey him. Worship and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You cannot enter the kingdom of God and enjoy its benefits without committing to the values and goals of the kingdom. There are no tourist visas available and there's no dual citizenship either. So as we move into 2024. Let's take a moment to evaluate our position. First of all, are we in the kingdom or are we not in the kingdom? 
if you are in the kingdom, you have taken that step of repenting and believing and accepting the grace of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, you are not in the kingdom. There is no halfway point. And if you claim to be in the kingdom, then is the king in charge? Are you doing the things of the king? Or are you trying to live a dual citizenship where you have the benefits of the kingdom but keep your feet in the world? So let's pause for a moment just as you think of the year ahead. Decisions that need to be made. Situations that need to be faced. Who is the king for you? Are you an active participant of the kingdom? Let's take a moment and then I'll pray. King Jesus, we come before you as your followers, your subjects, and we acknowledge your lordship in our lives, your right to determine our path, your right to call us to action. so that you can build your kingdom. Father, I pray for each one here, Lord. You know them. You selected them. And you have a purpose for them. And Lord, our, our responsibility is simply to respond, simply to follow, simply to do what you tell us to do. And Lord, what we do may seem insignificant, but Lord, you're able to take just the little and do much. Help us, Lord, to have a year where we are able to get to the end of it and look back and go, yes, I follow Jesus. Yes. My life has had significance in the kingdom. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of, of serving you, of following you, of being a part of your kingdom. May our lives be worthy of you as our king and bring you glory. Amen.